Welcome to the official podcast of Fourternia.com. We have the power. I'm your host, AJ, a.k.a. Voodoo Magic, a.k.a. Zoar. And today's episode is titled, Family is What You Make of It. Taken from a very apropos line of dialogue, spoken by the character Roboto in Masters of the Universe Revelation, a line that is relevant today, not only because we're going to finally continue our retrospective series reviewing every episode of the 2021 Netflix series, Masters of the Universe Revelation, continuing today with episode three, The Most Dangerous Man in Eternia, uh, which features that specific line of dialogue. But it's also relevant because today we're adding another friendly face to the four Eternia family of podcast guest co-hosts. That's right. Uh, some may know him as Vintage Motu on Twitter and other social media services, or as a host of the new Collectors of Power podcast that uh, just started up this past month. But I know him as Bobby. And Bobby, it is so nice to have you on the show. Welcome, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure being on here with you. Uh, uh, really looking forward to it. And, and same with you. And um, for everyone at home, uh, Bobby and I initially met on Twitter. Um, we started messaging each other back in June. And we followed each other before that, uh, but we started messaging and um, we we talked about your your plans uh, to create a Motu Collectors podcast. And we just we discussed the possibility of you coming on the Four Eternia podcast. And finally, three months or so later, the stars finally aligned, and uh, here you are. Yeah, so pleasure. <laughs> now, uh, before we begin. Uh, with our retrospective. Um, this is something I like to do when we have someone new on, but can you take us and our audience back and delve into what your personal Motu origin is? You know, your personal gateway into the Masters of the Universe IP and fandom and, you know, your journey thus far. Sure. I, um, I got into uh, Masters of the Universe in 1982 when the toys first came out. I believe it was Christmas is when I first got my first toys. I um, got Castle Grayskull, Zodak, Stratos, He-Man with Battle Cat, and Skeletor and the Wind Raider. Those are the figures I had originally. And I, I used to be a real big Star Wars fan back then. And... Once I saw Masters of the Universe, I can't remember exactly when I saw them. I don't know if it was a commercial for the toys or if I was going through the toy store. I don't remember that, and I apologize for that. Let me stop you. Let me stop you right there with a quick question. Um, I, I, I was I entered the the fandom the same time, 1982, but I can't remember if I asked for the toys or not. Yeah. Uh, do you remember if you asked for those figures? Or yes, did... I, I, I do remember because my mom, you know, we, we grew up in the south side of Chicago and we didn't have a lot of money. So it was either Christmas or birthday presents. So I had to have asked for those and I got them for Christmas because that was the big 
toys we got, you know, it was either our birthday or Christmas. And I have to say that's pretty much when I first got it. And I don't remember asking, but I had to have. But it's um, it's very foggy in my memory of doing that point, point of it. But I do remember sitting at home and my grandmother was over. She used to take us to Toys R Us a lot, you know, her kids to get us, you know, toys and things like that. And she's like, so you're not into Star Wars anymore? You're into what is this? And I showed her my He-Man and Skeletor figures. And I said, these are what I like now. And she's like, so that's your new stuff as a guest. And that's stuck with me ever since. But it's, um, yeah, I had to have asked my parents for that, especially my mom. She got into it with me. So I was able to get those for Christmas. And that was that was a great Christmas. I remember playing with it in my room and just having so much fun with it. And it was a new world because we didn't have the, you know, the cartoon yet. So it, it was a lot of fun. Plus my friends, I think might've had some figures too around the neighborhood and I, I liked playing with them. So I think that could be another way of me getting introduced. Like I said, that part of it's real foggy, but I, I do remember getting them for Christmas. Do you know, I made that transition too from the star Wars, you know, figures where he was this little, you know, Luke Skywalker who really yeah. didn't look like he had the power, you know, right, right. he looked like a little pipsqueak. And then, you know, here was this muscled He-Man that came in and I, I just totally uh, lost interest in my um, Star Wars characters, you know, and was it the same with you or did you kind of like still stay in both IPs or, or both families? You know, I I put I pretty much put all my Star Wars figures away once I started getting the He-Man figures. I um I had most of the Star Wars and I had a friend who lived not too far from service merchandise. And we used to run over there all the time and look at the toys. And he was still getting Star Wars. I think I might have picked up a couple of things like ships and stuff like that when I had my birthday, but He-Man was it, you know. But like I said at that time there wasn't too many figures out and I had a decent amount of them, but yeah, He-Man was was it for me once I got into those. Nothing else for a long time. Now, when I played, I had no idea about the lore, and this is before the filmation cartoon yep. came out, and I, I had no interest in reading my mini comics. You know, forget about. I mean, I looked at the pictures, but reading, schmeeding, you know, it, it got in my way of playing with the toys. You know. Exactly. So do you remember any particular like play style? Like was, was Castle Grayskull like Skeletor's castle? Did you do anything just like off IP that you can remember that later you learn like, oh, this is the correct way? Um, may, I, I think maybe. I, I didn't know what it really was. I thought it was just, it was a cool place. And like, you know, I was saying before on my other show, I played with the, the play sets but I played outside the place that's not in them too much. So I, I used it more of a background and someone had to get it. I, I might've remember reading. I knew about the power sword opening up the, uh, the gate or the drawbridge, but um, I don't know if, I don't think I had it as a Skeletor base. I thought it was just more of, this is where they're at and this is where they do battle in front of. I don't think it was any particular you know, uh, good or bad place to go. I think it was just, that's the place that they fight. I think that's how I played with it, if I can remember right. 
like a neutral war zone for your figure yeah, right. to yeah, do battle in. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And um, so then uh, a year later, right, the Filmation show came out. Yes. Did you get into that? Oh, yes. That was, um, I know I get my buddies, they mess with me about this, but I'm a huge Filmation fan. And I remember we're getting really excited about it because I, I went to school. It was like a block away from my house. So I'd run home and catch it right before. And I used to record it on tape recorder because we didn't have a VCR at that point in time. So I would listen to the episodes over and over again on my recorder. Wow, that's but, cool. Yeah, but the, uh, the cartoon has a special place in my heart. And that's most of the lore I have is from filmation i do like the golden books and i do like all that other stuff the mini comics but i don't know i just have and it was so great to me because i know a lot of people say well it's made for kids it's made to sell toys i didn't think of it that way i thought of it when i was a you know 10 year old kid i'm playing with my toys those guys are on tv telling me how or not telling me but this is how it's set up you know these are the good guys these are the bad guys now I knew Castle Grayskull is more, you know, needs to be guarded and protected. So I did all of that with the toys. And it made me excited to see my action figures in action on TV. That's how yeah. I always thought of it. And that was always the fun part of it to me. Yeah, I really love <laughs> filmation. You know, I, I heard the same criticism. It was created to uh, sell toys. And it's accurate in a way. But if anyone yep. actually goes through, especially season one, yeah. There is so many episodes that don't even feature Skeletor, that don't mm -hmm. feature any new characters, any new play sets, and they just do world building in Eternia. Yeah. So even though the show was designed to sell the toy, which it did, yes. um, the, the, the episodes weren't about that. And if you look at the, uh, the Bible by uh, Michael Halperin, the filmation bible it was so extensive the lore the lands the 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 ancients the the weaponry how how castle grayskull worked and it was such i think it's it's a lot more in depth than people give it credit for and if they actually sit back and watch especially season 1 they realize wow you know, this has a lot more depth. Now, there's, you're going to get those goofy episodes from time to time, you know, that are that are just sort of flimsy. But there's so much great um, uh, meat uh, to chew on in so many of those episodes that I really encourage people to go back and revisit that this thing wasn't really just a toy commercial. Um, but in fairness, in season two... Um, the second half of those 130 episodes, I did see a little more of the, let's sell this new figure, you know, let's right, sell yes, that yeah. new figure. Right. Um, but there were still some wonderful episodes contained within, but um, yeah, no, it was a great show. So I'm still, I'm still with you. So, um, and this was the show that uh, my lore was based upon too. You know, that was the, until I saw that uh, Manny Faces episode, I always thought he was a, a villain many faces you know I, yeah. I saw that green monster and i'm like there's no way this guy could be a hero you know yeah it was, he was a little confusing yeah because i i got him the, my set the next christmas the 83 but I, I don't remember um how i played with him too much he wasn't that i know people are going to probably be mad but he wasn't that important to me because i didn't 
maybe because I didn't understand them, you know, when I was little. But it's, um, yeah, the, the cartoon, I like I said, you know, people say it's made for selling toys, but they couldn't play any of the commercials for Masters of the Universe during that half hour. So you didn't get the commercial during the show at the same time. They couldn't, they weren't allowed to do that. So that's always my argument of it's made to sell toys, yes, but at the same time, we weren't suckered into buying them because of that. You know, yeah. you used to see like different toys being advertised, not not He-Man during that period. And the majority of the Skeletor episodes, especially in season one, it was always Merman, Beastman, and yep. Evelyn. And yep. and everyone pretty much had those figures already. And uh, it was just selling the lore, you know, yes. and um, which was fantastic. So do you have a two-part question then from your origin? Uh, sure. do you, do, what was your favorite episode from that series? If you have one, if you recall. And did you have a favorite figure from the vintage? toys oh of course yeah those are two are easy um i like the um trap jaw is my favorite figure okay i have a funny story on getting that one too i remember this because it was supposed to it came out in 83 and i was going to get him for christmas and my mom pulled me to the side and this is after i didn't believe in santa claus anymore you know (laughs) don't tell everybody (laughs) some people still believe but um it's uh she couldn't find them and she told me that and i was kind of disappointed in it but my friend had them and so i went over to his house and i traded my 12 i had a 12 inch vintage darth vader at the time and i said i'll give you him if you give me trap jaw and we traded and that's how i was able to get him without buying him in the store and i still have my toy from childhood i i just can't get rid of it it's beat up a lot of my figures i had are beat up from when i was young because i play with them all the time you know we always took them outside and played in the dirt and all that stuff throw them in the pool you know with my friend across the street at a pool and uh yeah but that was my uh my favorite um toy and he's still my favorite character of all time for he-man and the uh, diamond ray of disappearance i know it's an easy one for everybody to say that but that's the first one i've seen and i love it because they introduce all the characters like especially the villains the way they introduce their name and they just come on screen and the music it was like a uh, a roll call right yeah yeah and i was just like this is awesome and i remember talking to one of my friends probably about 10 years ago and i told him about that episode he likes he-man too but he's not as big into it but he used to like it when he was little and he's like oh i do remember this episode yeah this is the one so that it always sticks in everybody's mind i think because they introduced all the characters plus it's cool i got that diamond ray and you know it's always great i always like the episodes where they have those magical objects that they use you know try to use it for evil and it always backfires or whatever so it's always been a lot of fun with them have you seen that uh, replica available now for uh, the yeah. diamond it's yeah, a little pricey I like get it, but it's expensive yeah. yeah you know like i was saying to my buddies before it's um i'm, I'm 49 now so i want to retire and i can't spend 300 dollars on each object that i want to get yeah <laughs> and it, it's just a plastic diamond in a box and yeah. and guess and guess what it doesn't make anybody disappear yeah, if it, if it did work, that'd be great. It's tough. You know, there, you know, there's a lot of collectors out there that just like that oddball stuff, and they don't get all the other toys, but I'm a toy guy, so I have to 
put my money towards that and not the other objects. So uh, yeah. it would be cool to have a diamond ray, but at the same time, it's nothing that I'm, I'm going to regret not getting later on, you know? So. Yeah. You know, my favorite uh, episode doesn't even have Skeletor. It's um, Evil Seed. It's something. Mm. Oh, actually, it does have Skeletor. What am I saying? It doesn't yeah. have Skeletor as the main villain, right. is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Um, that's where Skeletor has to team up with He-Man to sort yep. of defeat Evil Seed. And I've always loved those episodes. Those were some of the, my favorite in Filmation, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, where the villains had to team up with the heroes. You know, they had yes. to... They had to uh, wave the white flag just temporarily and work together. And then, you know, always at the end, He-Man's like, you know, we could do this moving forward. And Skeletor is like, you know, nope, one and done. I'm out of here. Back to evil, you know. Right. Don't, don't turn your back on me. I'm going to zap you. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, Evil Seed's awesome. I have his figure from the classics. Yeah, and, I do too. Uh, yeah, I love it because it's right on from the, car the cartoon. I didn't like the design too much from 2000X. I thought it was a little too slimline. Yeah. But I, I do like, you know, what they call him the cabbage head. <laughs> but it's <laughs> he looks awesome. awesome. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's he's fantastic. I love that. That's a great episode. Yeah. I love when the water comes down and it just buries everything. And it's great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, moving on forward, as you got older really uh, quick, uh, did you see the live action uh, Masters of the Universe film in the theater in 1987? No, I, I oh no, honest, no, because '87 I was uh, just started high school. And uh, we were, see. yeah, we moved from South. We moved from one home in Chicago to another home in Chicago at that that period of time. So we never, I didn't go to the movies or anything like that. But I remember seeing the uh, commercial or the trailer, I should say, on TV. But it didn't appeal to me at that time. Um, like I always tell everybody, I was starting to get out of toys and, and Masters of the Universe and Voltron and G.I. Joe and all that stuff. At that period, I was heavily into music, which I still am. And I was playing in bands at that point. As I was 14, I played drums and uh, a lot of punk rock stuff that we all my friends got into. And I pretty much left the toys and all that stuff behind for a few years until I got into my mid twenties, I think. And, um, but yeah, music was big at that point in time. So it didn't, uh, I didn't care too much about the film when it came out and I tried to watch it a few more times and I couldn't get through it. <laughs> I know a lot of people love the movie and I'm a big fan of masters of the universe. Don't get me wrong, but it's, I have a, I went to film school and all that too. So I'm, watching it it was it was a lot of things i didn't like i didn't like the whole planet earth stuff and everything but i finally watched it straight through i tried three times finally watched it straight through this year and what? and i finally got through it yeah wow it yeah. took you till this year 2022 it's yeah. 35th anniversary to exactly. watch it yeah, I, I, I had wow. to give it a chance you know it's like you know, like I always say, there's something for everybody in Masters. And you're not going to love everything. You're not going to hate everything. So it's, yeah, yeah I it understand. took me a long time to get that movie into my head. <laughs> I, I'm not criticizing and I got nothing but love for you and anyone yeah. who, who even, you know, can't stand a particular movie or a television series or anything like that. But, uh, um, 
just I was just surprised that at least not necessarily you not liking it because I didn't like it at first either. It had right. no Prince Adam, it had no Cringer. I could see Skeletor's eyeballs, you know. Right, right. But um, uh, but. To actually see it all the way through for your first time this year, that's 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 something. So yeah, yeah. I I I don't know why. It's just I couldn't. I, I think a lot of it because it was on Earth a lot. I think I couldn't enjoy it because it didn't have a lot of the me. Like I said, I'm a filmation guy, and it's it didn't feel like. And I was like, why does He Man have a cape? You know, all this. Why is he shooting a gun? <laughs> you know, all that <laughs> stuff. And it was just. You know, Beast Man's there, but he doesn't look like Beast Man. And, and these other guys, where's Trapjaw, Triclops? You know, even Lynn was fantastic. Yeah, but, she was. You know, I don't know. It's it, and at the same time, it's like they use that key for portals, but they always used portals anyway. So why is that such an important thing? Uh, you know, it was it was just hard for me to okay to through at the point. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, hey, hey, that. that's that's absolutely okay. Yeah. Uh, you're allowed to like and dislike. I love that's why I ask these questions because I'm yeah. always interested in everyone's perspective, and everyone has a different perspective. And that's the great thing about Motu is that there's something for everybody, you know. Right. Exactly. If you don't if you some people like barbarian he-man you know, from the original mini comics. And, mm -hmm. and, and then of course, so many people adore filmation and then some people can't stand filmation. It's just like 2000 X there's new adventures fans, even right. out there, you right. know? And then there's some out there that the 1987 movie is their, their Holy grail in Motu that this is their, their peak of their fandom, you know, and they've watched the movie, hundreds of times and burned out their VHS, you know? Right. So, yeah. so that's, what's really wonderful. And now we have revelation that's reignited some, um, so much of fandom. And then we have this new interpretation, the, uh, the CG show, yes. you know? So it's really, really wonderful that it's so inclusive of so many people's tastes. And it goes back to me as a child, even though we had those mini comics, um, that no one read as a child and uh and often you got the same mini comic in different figures you know you get he-man and had the same mini co comic as skeletor um there's so much unexplained lore that we created our own lore we created the adventures with our toys that appealed to us appealed to our sensibilities that we liked and and i see that still um as a uh a descriptor of the IP today, you know, that uh, we are coming from all different places, different tastes, different feelings and passions. And, and we all fit under this Motu umbrella. And it's, it's, it's awesome. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, your favorite color might be red and mine is blue, but you know, we're all colors, you know, in, yeah, that, in exactly. that respect. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yep. So, um, all right. So why don't we move into our uh, retrospective? Um, sure. You know, we we did this. We started this retrospective series of the episodes of Masters of the Universe Revelation, and today uh, we're going to continue with episode three, the most dangerous man in Eternia. Now, um, did you do your homework? Uh, Bobby, did you did you yeah. watch this a bunch of times before this episode? Yeah, I actually watched it twice. Once okay. to re get into it again, 
Well, I've seen it three times now. Originally when it came out, and then twice this past weekend. Yeah, so I can remember everything that I can remember. Yeah, I think I've watched it a dozen times already. Um, but I did watch it again to uh, refresh myself and uh, make sure I took some notes down. Because um, for anyone who's joining us for the first time, this will um, our retrospective will be done chronologically in a way similar. Um, Bobby and I were talking um, off camera, similarly to a um, sporting event broadcast where I will deliver the play by play. And then myself and Bobby will stop me at points where we might want to add some color commentary, mostly just consisting of our opinions. And let me also caveat that we're big fans, but it's hard to remember everything. So if we get something wrong, we apologize in advance. No need to get your torches and pitchforks and crucify us in the comments. Because as we were just saying before, we're all Motu fans, just like you. And we got nothing but love for every single one of you guys. So, all right. So... So the episode starts, right? And uh, we get the Netflix logo and we get the red lava rocks and the camera pulls out of the mouth of the Castle Gr uh, Grayskull Jawbridge and we get the title, The Most Dangerous Man in Eternia. And the episode begins on this blazing sun um, in a gorgeous blue sky as the camera pans down to reveal a boat in the middle of the sea. And it's not just any sea, but it's the home of Merman, the uh, Crystal Sea. And um, I love Bear McCreary's music here. I don't know if you noticed it, Bobby, but it sounds like uh, string instruments and it starts on this like high note and then whittles down to an uh, ominous, you know, low tone, something we, we often hear in um, horror films. Yes. And um, so already, even though, I mean, I've already screamed and rave, just, I just love Bear's score here. Um, already I'm reminded just in the opening scene, what a great job Bear has done here. And um, all right. So then there's this gold and white boat and it's a boat that we've never seen before. And it was just created for this series and uh, I looked it up in the art book, and its name is the Royal Schooner. And it has this gold eagle head on the front of it. But it doesn't seem to be very royal at this moment, you know, does it? This is a Skeletor ship, so yeah. I'm, I'm assuming it's stolen here, you know? Yeah, I didn't know how that fit in. It looked a little odd to me being with the villains, you know, it was... Yeah, I just didn't. It was weird to me seeing it look kind of streamlined but clean. It wasn't didn't threat didn't look threatening to me at all. I don't know if that's how you took it. Yeah, but I I, I would take that. Uh, I mean, pirates they've never built their own ship, right? They've right, always yeah. stolen ships, and yeah. and then they would raise like a pirate flag or you know. So and since we have a pirate flag here, I just assume that this was one of the royal ships that uh, Skeletor and the evil henchmen, you know, co-opted. Yeah, that's and, a good take on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I go with that. So we see uh, He-Man and Tila bound in handcuffs and held by Aquaticans as Skeletor and Evelyn 
uh, stand across from them. And He-Man tells Skeletor that it makes sense that he resorted to piracy because his face is on the flag, i.e. skull and crossbones, which is a moment I like. Um, But Skeletor steps aside to reveal Merman. And uh, Merman indicates that he uh, formed an unholy alliance in their combined hatred for He-Man. But then, and we'll talk about this now, when um, uh, Merman finally speaks and says, you know, when the brine fills your lungs and you've taken the last, your last breath, no, it will be me, Merman, who prized the sword of power from your cold, dead hands. And as a spiritual sequel to the 1983 filmation series, this surprisingly is a much different sounding Merman voice than we're used to. Um, and it's played by, um, Kevin Conroy, you know, the voice best known for Batman, the animated series. And, uh, so what did you think of this voice for Merman? Well, yeah, like you said, it was a lot different than the filmation because he had more of the gargle water talk, Yeah, like you know, like that, but it's, um, I didn't, I didn't mind it. It was nice to hear him talk clear, clean, so you can understand him. Um, but he sounded more threatening, I think, in in this in this version than he did with the filmation. But um, yeah, I I didn't mind how he he spoke too much. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he does sound more threatening and more um, intelligent. Yes. Um, but in the beginning, I, I, you know, it was quite jarring. You know, the first time I watched it, I'm like, what, what, yes. what? You know, but uh, it's it's since uh, grown on me and uh, I dig it now. So and um, and then I was also uh, first wondering, you know, what tethers could hold the most powerful man in the universe? Um, but then we get a uh, closer look at them and it turned out to be cordite cuffs yeah. you know handcuffs reinforced with the old uh cordite crystal which is the most powerful mineral in eternia and you know in a filmation series uh the sources explains it's the same substance that was used to build um he-man's power harness right. and is mined by those uh lovable creatures you know the the widgets yeah yeah i love those guys <laughs> yeah I love him too. So uh, Merman gives the signal and the Aquaticans pull both He-Man and Tila off the ship's edge into the Crystal Sea with the intention to drown both of them. And then Skeletor makes this crack um, that he looks forward to the next tussle with He-Man, but he won't hold his breath. Get it? (laughs) You know, very uh, corny filmation, but that's, you know, that's when the scene takes place, you know, before the, the, the death of innocence in Eternia, you know, when, when things were reset after every episode and here was these corny lines and, uh, and I'm enjoying this opening. And um, so as the, uh, the heroes are uh, pulled into the depths uh, suddenly one of the Aquaticans pulling down Tila is um, shot in the head, really, with an underwater laser. Mm-hmm. Maybe, it, maybe it killed them. 
I don't know. There are deaths in this series. Yeah, it's a little more adult, yes. Yep. And suddenly we see Duncan, you know, uh, rocking a slick, like, underwater uh, propulsion system. Well, actually, not Duncan. I guess he's man-in-arms at this point yeah. still. Um, but he has this uh, propulsion system on his back and an even sicker underwater helmet or mask attached to his helmet. And to me, it just looks so cool here. Yeah, I, I like it, yes. Yeah, I almost wish, you know, on the Masterverse figure, um, you know, they offered that as like an attachment or a replacement head, you know, that underwater, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want the uh, the unmasked, um, the, un, the, the cloaked Duncan as well, but this yeah, would have been cool. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was saying he's yeah. The, I like the uh, cloaked Duncan too, with the with the hair, long hair and on the beard. Yeah, that, he's, he looks really cool that way. Yeah, and, um, yeah. With the mask and everything, I thought, yeah, he's underwater. Of course, he needs to breathe, so that that was a good thing. And um, I'm a big Man at Arms fan. I, I just love Man at Arms, so it's cool to see him in action like that. Well, this is the episode for you, right? Yeah, <laughs> if you're a man, I was kind of happy to see that. It was a pretty good story for him. Yes, it's really yep. good. Yeah, he's my favorite hero. So, um, so Tila punches an Aquaticin in the face, uh, securing her freedom. And Duncan uses his underwater laser to destroy the Cordite crystal, powering the handcuffs on He-Man, breaking his bonds. Uh, Tila dispatches another Aquaticin, and He-Man chucks the final Aquaticin leagues, leagues away as Dun uh, Duncan scoops him up and heads for the boat. And as Skeletor thinks he's won, suggesting to Evil Lynn that perhaps they should paint the ship a nice uh, granite, <laughs> which was funny, yeah. the heroes burst onto the boat and a uh, fighty fight occurs. Uh, Tila wrestles Evil Lynn to the floorboards, wrenching away her staff. Duncan punches Merman in the face. And He-Man throws an aquatic in at Skeletor, dropping him to his knees, saying, Thanks to Man-at-Arms, you're all wet, Skeletor. Which is, again, another Filmation, uh, you know, corny comment that just makes yeah, me smile. Yeah. Which is fantastic, though. I, I like that stuff. Yeah. It, it fits. It fits with all of them, you know. Especially if this is going to be like a, kind of like a flashback type of deal, so... Yeah, it goes in with the filmation style stuff. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so then next we cut to the outer jungles of the uh, Font of Filegro, and we see Tila, Evelyn, and Andra cutting out a path. And we realize this story was actually being recounted by Tila because Andra inquires to Tila, "Wait, He Man actually said you're all wet." Yep. And uh, Tila remarks that He-Man had the sense of humor of a uh, teenager, and he didn't get out too much. Uh, Evil Lynn mocks that He-Man was a glorified goody-goody, but then indicates Man-at-Arms was the real threat, labeling him as the most dangerous man in Eternia, Implying, at least to me, that Duncan was the one here that would get down and dirty, you know, um, to get his hands dirty, if need be, ethics be damned. He, uh, Duncan would be the one to do what's necessary, the things that had to be done to protect the palace and protect Eternia. 
Yeah, yeah, he's loyal to that, and he's also smart. Yeah, he knows how to, you know, he's master weapons on his side and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, he's. Um, I, I think that too. He's he's the brains behind He Man's brawn. I know He Man's not dumb, but I, I think she's right on that point. I thought that was a good line for her to say that. I, I made it made it brought him up a level. I think in the cartoon. Yeah, sure did. Probably think of him. Before, you know. and, and I thought about him and then Duncan was always the ones like taking people to the dungeon, you know, yeah, for King yeah. Randor. And he was always crossing a line that I think He-Man couldn't cross. I, I can't yeah. see He-Man had a heart so much that he couldn't lock away someone for 20 years in the dungeons, you know. <laughs> yeah. so, so Man in Arms was always willing to go that step further, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Good, yeah, cop, I, good cop, I, bad cop type thing. Yep. <laughs> and I really like that. Uh, I like it too, that it's recognized here. So, yeah. um, and I'll tell you what, uh, knowing what we know now after watching revelation part one and part two numerous times, um, it might be just me, but I can see a glint in Lynn's eye every time she talks about or talks to Duncan. Now, um, I, I'm not I'm not one that usually is one that, you know, ship characters. But uh, now that Lynn is no longer evil and now that the sorceress is dead, I can honestly see these two get together at the end of a revelation, revolution, fill in the blank, like trilogy series. I could actually see these two get together somehow. Maybe it's just me. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I didn't really catch on to that at all. I, I, no, that, that no. I, I, I maybe she sees him more of a, as a father or something that she didn't have, you know, or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> she, yeah, it's yeah. That, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't. Maybe I just went over my head. I didn't see that coming. But yeah, well, I don't the know. next time you watch it, or even when she brings up about Duncan, her eyes light up. It's like okay. she, she they light up, and then she corrects herself. Yeah. And um, it's nuanced, but I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but it's just something <laughs> something that I saw. So, um, all right. So, Evil Lynn starts giving life advice to Andra, telling her not to waste her time on dangerous men. But Tila warns Andra not to take any advice from Lynn, teasing that Evil Lynn is the only one here carrying a Skeletor in her closet. You know, that play off skeletons in your closet. Right. Um, but Evelyn slyly retorts to Tila that she is not the only one here carrying a torch, which is a idiom for being in love with someone. So at this moment, Lynn acknowledges here to the audience that number one, she's carrying a torch, i.e., she is or at least was in love with Skeletor. And number two is calling out Tila for feeling the same way towards Adam and he, slash He-Man, uh, which Tila makes no effort to deny. So when I first watched this episode, this finally marked the point for me where everything I suspected in the Filmation series was now confirmed as true. You know, that Lynn had a thing for Skeletor and Tila had a thing 
for He-Man. So for me, as a big Filmation fan, it was so great to finally hear these long-held uh, suspicions get called out. It was um, headcanon validation, in a right. way, especially with Evil Lynn and Skeletor, you know. Yeah, I don't know if I picked up the Evil Lynn Skeletor love relationship in Filmation as much because, you know, I always liked her wanting his power and going behind his back a lot of times. I don't know if if I caught if she's in like loves him. I do get it with Tila and He-Man because, you know, she always liked him being around. But um, yeah, I don't well, know. It, it was if it was a relationship, it was a toxic one. You know, oh, definitely. Yeah. between oh, yeah, those they, two, yeah, they needed each other to do yeah. whatever they needed to do. You know, it's one of those things, but I don't know if it's love or or what. But yeah, I don't know. I didn't get the love part with Evil Lynn and Skeletor. Yeah, that was more, um, like I said, headcanon validation. I mean, yeah. we did get get our hints, a lot of big hints, actually, in the Filmation series that Tila not only had a thing for Adam, but a thing for He-Man. And sometimes right. He-Man, he sometimes Tila would get jealous if He-Man was around another woman. Yeah. And sometimes He-Man would get jealous if Tila was around another man that was you know right. interested in her or adam would right yeah, yeah. so um so definitely you know with those suspicions were well founded right. um but uh yeah with evil lynn that was more um a a leap to some degree you know yes. um very nuanced if if it was intended at all but uh but now you know it's 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 proven as true so um but uh, all right. So as the uh, ladies head off, um, we hear someone or something in the bushes following them and possibly giggling to Andra's remarks that she doesn't know why she thought someone named Evil Lynn would be nice. <laughs> right, right, right. And who could be who could that be in the bushes, you know, and uh, at least when I first watched this, I, I didn't know. Um, but it felt a very like um, a golem, you know, following yeah, the, yeah. the 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 fellowship. Right. So, uh, all right. So next we count to uh, we cut to a uh, a fountain, uh, dripping water, mm -hmm. and what appears to be a bearded Duncan in a cloak, uh, capturing the drips in a container. Then it's revealed a whole line of people are waiting in turn for the fountain's water. Uh, Duncan exits the line and an old man is next, but one cup, but well, once his cup is full, the old man trips and spills all the water he collected. And as the water spills on the ground, we can see it's magical water because all these sprouts become uh, glowing or uh, growing out of it where it's spilled. But the uh, crowd of people become angry with the old man, frustrated that um, this magical water is scarce, that there's hardly any enchanted water left in Eternia. And he carelessly goes and spills it. And to sidestep here, um, also you're a Filmation fan, I wonder if this fountain uh, titled the Font of Filegro um, in the art book is the same fountain that was in the 1983 filmation episode, The Witch and the Warrior. 
Um, in that episode, they called it the Fountain of Life, I believe. But okay. the water, the water was magical too, yeah. and it could make you um, all powerful. But, but I'm not sure here. So I don't know. Did you did you go there, or it didn't even come to mind? I don't know if I got that connection with it. I think it's more of since it is scarce that they um, the frustrations and with the people, I got that more than I thought about the fountain. I didn't right. give the fountain too much thought because, um, you know, like they're saying, there's magics being taken away everywhere. So this is what they had there. So I didn't get the connection with the filmation part of it. Maybe I didn't think too deep about it. I don't know. But um, yeah, I'd... I I agree with you, though, in regards to um, they were definitely showing us how uh, destitute everything yes. is. Right. right. And, um, you know, basically the view of this uh, new internia, no pun intended, um, and what it's become without magic. And it's very interesting to watch. I thought this was um, great world building in a way. Yeah, to see, I thought that too. Yep. Yeah, to see Eternia in this new light. Yeah, it shows the the real people around having issues, not just the heroes and villains. You know, it's it's nice to see that depth of uh, with the characters, knowing that everybody around is having the same problems and they're not living peacefully or living in a good light right now they're spilling that little bit of water really made them angry pretty quick <laughs> yeah and it made me also realize like how much magic is tied to eternia not just necessarily the sorcerers yeah. and the mages but even the crops you know and the way the agriculture and you know the the, the balance entirely of eternia and that, and obviously, that's why uh, Attorney is dying without magic. Yes. So back to the old man. Uh, as it appears, an angry villager is going to physically strike the old man for uh, spilling the enchanted water. But Duncan grabs the villager and then knocks him away. And Duncan helps the old man up. And as the villager insists, you're going to pay for that a cloud of dust and sand approaches in the horizon, revealing tricops, triclops and the uh, techno cult. Yeah. And uh, that cool Bear McCreary synth tune starts playing that do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And I love that. And, um, and then here's this stunning, you know, view of um, triclops in that, you know, Catholicism, Pope-like get up, standing yeah. on top of this uh, rotan, and um, Triclops orders his, you know, disciples to halt the heretics. You know that motherboard demands a sacrifice be made of their flesh, and uh, and then in comes Trapjaw, uh, your favorite, yeah, <laughs> with favorite. Uh, yeah. with what looks like a robotic left. I in place of his real one that Andra put a rotary a rotary saw through in the previous episode. 
And uh, how do you like this this look? I guess two-parter, because you weren't yeah. here for the retrospective on the previous episode. Yeah. What did you think about, you know, Trapjaw getting the the saw to the eye and then him appearing now, you know, with this, I guess, mechanical eye? Yeah, I thought that was cool because, like you said, it was in the, the episode prior that he it didn't show it, but you heard it off screen. You know, you knew he was getting hurt somehow. And oh, like you heard they, the crunch. It was yeah, right. So I, I like that they show that. So it, it was cool. It makes it, it goes with the cartoon itself. Yeah, it made a lot of sense, and it was um, it was pretty neat. The technical techno stuff I did have an issue with when I originally watched the show. Um, I wasn't understanding what they were doing with it at the time, but now I do. And uh, but again, Henry Rollins. You gotta love him. Oh. <laughs> I'm a, you know, I'm a big, like I said, I'm a big punk rock fan, and he's with Black Flag. And to see him in Mo, you know, Masters of the Universe, it's uh, that was a delight for me. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And even if he was Joe Schmo, um, yeah. he delivers these lines so great. You know, it's he chews the scenery as Triclops. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like. Well, I know you don't like this movie, but Frank Langella in uh, Skeletor, you know, the way he delivers those lines. It's such a favorite for so many Motu fans and Triclops, too. He just he's eating up these these um, these these phrases that are built in a um, mimicking Christianity or something like that. Right, but right. It's not for anything from the bible but you know it's it's yeah. it's tech it's machine versus magic you know this right. new religion and uh Which yeah fits him too because he's into that he's not a magical guy he's more tech anyway so that was always that's always a great way of him being portrayed in this cartoon i think him and uh, tra uh trap jaw yeah they're both kind of similar yep yeah. and i forget his name but uh they did the the voice actor who did Trapjaw also did King Randor, and oh, his okay. name escapes me. Uh, yeah, Diedrich, I think Diedrich is his name. Um, but you never thought, you know, um, I don't remember. Um, or like when he says, like in the previous episode, you know, you you defiled the sanctity of the, I don't know, you can't tell it's Randor. He does so yeah. the way he does both voices, it's a great job. But, yes. um, all right, so Trapjaw is driving this uh screech headed uh quartz cannon which is a, another new vehicle uh debuting here in revelation and uh trapjaw yells um magic is dead you know or long live the holy sprocket which i love instead of um right. holy spirit in christianity yeah, yeah, it's the right, holy right. sprocket and uh or catholicism and uh, i'm just eating this stuff up i just i just love it so so uh, Trapjaw uses this quartz cannon to vaporize uh, the magical fountain. And uh, Duncan jumps away uh, just in time and uh, makes sure that he's not dropping the enchanted water he collected. Then as the Technocult followers attack the, uh, they attack the villagers, uh, one grows a metallic mace to strike yeah. with and it looks exactly like the the orange mace that came with the vintage man in arms action yeah. figure yeah i i love that because then he rips it off and he's using it and that, that to me was fantastic i thought that was a, a great part in that scene 
to throw that in like that. That was really neat. I, and I enjoyed that part of it. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's only for fans that had that vintage toy, you know, that um, would recognize it. Or, or did they duplicate it in classics? I think they, well, whatever. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's so great. And uh, yeah, I said to myself while watching this, like, oh yeah, you know, and um, Duncan is going to take that. And like you said, that's right. what he does. He, he rips the mace off. It's like he pulls some of the, um, the wires off of the uh, acolyte's arm. And then, uh, and then fighty fight ensues where Duncan proceeds to club a bunch of the followers. And uh, one of them seems to get the best of Duncan for a moment, shoving him against a wall. And Duncan yells in pain. He's like, ah! And it's a great moment that I can, like, just feel, you know? Yeah, and he's getting older, too. So he's going to feel that more, you know? If, we, if I fall down, I'm going to hurt myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta. I, I like that they aged them like that, and then he can actually feel pain. So that that, that was a good part of it. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that continued fight almost makes him spill the enchanted water that he collected if he didn't dive to the ground to catch it to save it. Uh, but that now on the ground that left Duncan exposed, and as Trapshaw is about to shoot him. It doesn't work. What? Yep. Uh, Andra climbs out from underneath the quartz cannon and then shouts, you know, I shut it down. And uh, Triclops shouts, who dares? You know, and then gets blasted off the Rotan by uh, Evil Lynn, which is pretty funny. Yeah. And then uh, more fighty fight ensues and Tila engages um trap jaw and uh knocks him out sorry bobby but he's he's knocked out cold and uh which is funny because uh in the first episode uh man in arms did the same thing to him you know just clocks him right in the face um it's like (laughs) like father (laughs) even though you know he doesn't have a glass jaw you know he's got a metal one but uh he still gets knocked out and uh, so then an acolyte is about to uh strike tila when Duncan, who Tila has yet to recognize here, uh, steps in to save her. But that saving is short-lived when all the techno followers shoot these wires or maybe their cables at the Fellowship and uh, bounds them all. And then uh, Triclops, I love this moment, just walks over and approaches Evelyn and has this like, you know, smile on his face and tells her, it's time to merge with motherboard. But suddenly a uh, black whip dispatches one of the followers and it's beast man with uh, new face paint. And he over- overcomes uh, all of the technocultists with that uh, whip and with his fighting skills. And then beast man shoves triclops against the court's cannon and remarks all those eyes and you still couldn't see me coming, which is a good line, you know? So Triclops uh, tries to appeal to Beastman, you know, saying he has no quarrels with him. But Beastman says, you mess with her, as in Evelyn, you mess with me. And this, to me, uh, introduces a real interesting dynamic between the two villains, where Beastman takes on a willing subservient role 
towards her. You know, in the Filmation series, which uh, this series sequelizes, uh, the few times they were paired off, Evelyn took the lead because she was naturally more intelligent of the two. But pretty much that's as far as they went. But they here push it even further where he feels loyalty towards her. And I personally like it. Yeah, I thought that was different. Um, Like you said, in the filmation, they always pretty much fought with each other. She always was annoyed with him and stuff. But for him to be loyal to her, there's something there that we didn't see, of course that brought them together, but I do like that. But uh, Beastman in that cartoon, the this new one, he's just awesome. I like that he's that ferocious. I like the tribal look he has. And I don't think it transferred too well on the, the action figure, but right. in the cartoon itself, he's, he, he's really cool. I like that um, more tribal feel of him. I, it was really, uh, really cool with him. Plus that whip, of course, you know, whipping those guys around. That was, that was fantastic. And I forgot who voiced him, but I swear when I was first watching this, are you familiar with the actor um, Clancy Brown? He did, um, you ever watch the movie, I think it was called Highlander? Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And the, the villain in Highlander was Clan, uh, Clancy Brown. And he's done a lot of uh, different characters in animation. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think he's even done like the Red Hulk and Hulk's in the Age and the Smash. But he's got this deep, gravelly voice. I think he was in the Punisher TV series. Okay. And I swear this was actually, you know, Clancy Brown talking. But it wasn't. And I'm going to try to look up right now. Just bear with me who Beastman was. Uh, Mossman, Man in Arms, Sorceress, Trapjaw, Stinkor. Um, I'll look at that. Someone's going to tell us in the comments. I can't find it, and I'm not going to just pause on this. But uh, whoever did the voice of Beastman, it was great here. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Yes, I did. So um, Beastman has some nice lines as well. Uh, he tells Triclops to leave these pathetic pilgrims to their magic water. Mm-hmm. You know, leave those pathetic pilgrims to their magic water. I, I got a kick out of that line. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and sorry, Bobby, you're just going to hear no, me do voice. You're going to hear me do voices like I'm trying out for some. <laughs> that, hey, that's perfect. You know, that's perfect. Um, and, uh, but Triclops says, um, and I like this line that it's pity they don't see eye to eye. Mm-hmm. Get it? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Um, so the techno cult leave and Tila tells the hooded Duncan she's impressed the way she handled herself or, or she's impressed the way he handled himself, uh, with the old man. And Duncan finally lifts his hood and tells Tila being an old man is a subject I know a bit about. Mm-hmm. And Tila surprisingly says, Duncan, you know, as Duncan falls to his knee, and at, and asks or begs Tila for her forgiveness here. He's sorry that he kept so many secrets from her and asks for another chance. But uh, Evelyn cuts him off saying they don't have time for broken theatrics. And Tila then explains to Duncan that they need his help to reforge the sword of power. 
Duncan scoffs at the idea, though, uh, reminding them that he lost his rank and his royal decree. And if he doesn't get that cup of enchanted water back home, he's going to lose a lot more than that rank. He's going to lose a friend. So then the sun, the, the scene um, cuts to night. The sun is down and uh, man at arms is we're at man at arms home and a hand lights a lantern. And then on a dresser, we see a hero medal and a magical pyramid and these little meteorite rocks. And I think any big, big filmation He-Man and the Masters of the Universe fan uh, recognizes these objects and uh, knows who to associate them with. You know, Orko is here. And uh, for anyone who wants to catch the episodes, um, Orko was awarded that medal for his bravery in the episode Return of Evil. And actually, I think he was knighted in that episode. They started calling him Sir Orko. I think it only lasted for that episode, but uh, he was actually called Sir Orko. And and then the uh, Magical Pyramid combined with these meteorite pieces uh, made a portal between Orko's world, uh, Trala, and Eternia. And that's where uh, his girlfriend, uh, Driel, came in and, um, or came to Eternia through this pyramid. And that was the episode, uh, Dawn of the Dragoon. So, yeah. So, so someone under the bed covers stirs and Tila gasps, Orko. And Andrea remarks that the little guy looks sick and Oracle, Oracle, listen to me. <laughs> that was the name he was uh, given at birth, but that's the next episode. Uh, Oracle says um, he's not too sick to do a magic t- uh, trick and attempts to bring in a little sunshine in the room. But of course, instead, he makes it rain on his head, and it's the you know the same old orgo. Yeah, which is perfect. Yep. Now I gotta ask you, you know, some, regardless, people who love filmation, some people fans feel very differently about orgo. You know, it's like okay. you either love him or hate him. So, how did you like orgo as a filmation fan as a kid? I, I loved him because you know I was young when it came out. Well, not young, you know, I was nine, ten, no, I was ten years old. But I, I did like the character, I accepted him. Um, I thought he was, uh, he fit right in with the filmation. I, I, I like the character. I don't have a problem with him. I don't know, I don't know if I know anybody that doesn't really like Orko so much. I think uh, he brings. He now brings, you do. Oh, you don't? <laughs> well, I didn't. Oh. As a kid, it was like, you know get this funny orca out of my screen. I want to get to the cool He-Man and, and yeah. Beast-Man and Merman. And and I kind of found them a little bit annoying. I mean, I tolerated them, right? I, I found them a little bit annoying, but it wasn't actually into this series, actually until the, not just this episode, but the next one, which, mm-hmm. you know, we're not there yet. Yeah. That made me love Orko, you yeah. know? Yeah, that he he really turned into a uh, a badass, right? In, in in the next episode against Scareglow, and it was the first time for me as a huge filmation fan. Um, you 
behind me, I have like a lot of um, filmation uh, classic figures, you know, yeah. but it was, the first time I ever bought an Orco was Revelation. And I got them somewhere behind me here holding Evil Land's uh, hands. And yeah, so I was one of those that loved filmation, but wasn't a big fan of Orco. So I was just curious where you were coming from. But I am now. That could be a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, I liked them because, you know, back then, you got to remember the cartoons. There's a lot of kid cartoons out there. They had funny characters like that. But I always liked him because he was funny. And he he also, even though he had issues with his magic, he came through when he needed it, you know. And I always thought he was great with that. But you always have to have one of those goofy characters. It's kind of like a C-3PO in a way, you know. He's he's there. He's kind of funny, but he's he's needed for some reason, you know. So, well, at least I liked Orko better than that snarf snarf guy on yeah. uh, Thundercats. What was his name? Yeah, was it snarf? snarf? Yeah. Oh, it is Snarf. And he goes snarf snarf. <laughs> so at least I liked Orko better than Snarf, but uh, but I love him now, and uh, yeah. I thought Gr Griffin did a fantastic job voicing him. And yeah, he did. He did. And there was no voice modulation. And, and you know, Kevin Smith actually talked about this. He said that um, people who necessarily just found Orko annoying were going to want, after uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, want to get tattoos of Orko. Right. And now I'm not that far. I'm not getting any tattoos of Orko, but... I got trap jaw. <laughs> oh, look at that. That's awesome. That's yeah. That's I got that awesome. Year. Yeah, for my birthday. Last year okay last year yeah i got tattoos all over but i never had a master's one before so so we're both uh family family guys here and we both yeah. have kids um what was your family's reaction to that tattoo uh, considering how long it took you to put on something motu there you know um like my my parents or like my wife anyone yeah well my wife got it for me so, oh, that's cool. But but I got tattoos everywhere, so I don't think they cared. It's just another tattoo, you know. So it's nothing big. I got a whole sleeve of just like the Halloween season on one with the, I got cereal monsters hidden in the graves and behind pumpkins and stuff because I like the uh, cow chocula and all that stuff. I'm a big <laughs> Halloween fan. But um, I even got Groucho marks on my right arm. So. Wow. And I've had that <laughs> since I was 19. So, yeah. But hang on, Halloween, when you first said Halloween, I was thinking, you know, Michael Myers. No, 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 the season. Yeah. The I, season itself. So you got yeah. Count Chocula. You mean, I remember Count Chocula and uh, Boo Berry, right? Yeah, and Frankenberry, yeah. Frankenberry, yeah. yeah and I, I, got, I got them all. I got Fruit Brut in. I have the Yummy Mummy on there as well. Do they still, scattered. Yeah. Do they still make any of that? Yeah, they I mean, do. It's um, it's seasonal now. They usually okay. just make the original three, but this year they had fruit fruit. But where I lived in Chicago, we had a uh, General Mills um, mill down not too far from where I lived, and you could smell cocoa puffs during the summer. So that was fantastic. <laughs> so when you're wow. a little kid, you walk outside, you smell cocoa puffs. And it's like this is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, my you know, uh, dad worked there. Yeah, my um. My mother was a uh, nutritionist. Uh, okay. She was a yoga instructor, and she she um, 
sold vitamins and was a vegetarian, a practicing vegetarian. And uh, I wasn't allowed to have any of those kids' cereals. You know, oh, my wow. my extent was uh, grape nuts or raisin bran. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I was always jealous of the kids. I'd see the commercials, you know, with Cocoa Puffs or uh, yep. Trickster for Kids right. and uh, or Fruit Loops. And I'm like, what is that like to have that for breakfast? But uh, it's, it's something, you know. I didn't have as a child. Yeah, well, back then it wasn't as good for you either. <laughs> so <laughs> a, lot, a lot of sugar. You know, they changed the recipe now, but yeah, there's a lot of sugar. Mm. I remember having it. Yeah, blast from the past. Yep, yep. All right, so um, so so Duncan hands uh, Orko the enchanted water to help Orko feel a little bit a uh, little better, and. Uh, this point, I, I find it really charming and heartwarming here that Duncan, who was always the most frustrated with Orko, who had tons of inventions uh, ruined and machines ruined by Orko, and was singly the most person to ever get annoyed with Orko, is the same person that doesn't leave his side. And Duncan has taken it upon himself to take care of this dying Orko. And I don't know, for, for me, this dynamic is just so wonderfully uh, sweet and brilliant. And, uh, you know, I give uh, kudos to episode uh, writer Mark Bernardin um, on this, because to me, this is so good and, uh, and so smart writing. Yeah, the, the, their relationship is one of those where and in arms gets frustrated with him because, you know, he doesn't, he messes up everything, but I always felt deep down that he loved Orko anyway. You know, he always wants, he needs him around, you know, it's just one of the, it's one of those relationships, but he would, he would never turn his back on him. I never thought he would ever do that. So it's nice to see in this new cartoon that um, he's actually taking care of him. So that's, that's brilliant. I think. Yep. Agreed. So Tila asks, how did this happen to Orko? And Evelyn explains, since there's no magic left in Eternia, all the mages like her and Orko uh, got hit the hardest. And Orko reminisces about his past life, then gets choked up when he brings up Adam. And Tila asks softly, uh, you still miss him? And Orko says every day. And Orko thought it would get easier with time. But it didn't. And uh, Tila is sympathetic and says, you know, I thought it would get easier with time, too. So did I. And so we have a nice, real uh, tender moment there between Tila and Orko. And then Evelyn recognizes that time is against them and asks the disgraced man in arms, will he help them forge the sword? But he declines. Tila asks, what, what about you know, Duncan's responsibility to Eternia and Duncan counters. He was responsible for Prince Adam, but he's not here. So he's not fit to render service of any kind. And I can tell there's still a lot of guilt there. He also says, you know, if he, if he welds two pieces of metal together, that King Randor will have him executed. But I honestly don't think man-at-arms or Duncan really believes that, nor would King Randor ever do that. You know, that was just said in a total burst of anger in episode yeah. one. 
Yeah, I, which, I didn't think he would get that. I didn't think that would happen to him either. Yeah, I you know. Figure that out. You know, as a parent, I understand that anger. You know, just imagine you you get you uh, you find out in a moment that not just He-Man has died, but suddenly Adam is dead too, and Adam was He-Man, and and everyone has lied to you for years about your son, not their son. They're lying to you about your son, and and all these years that you have um, ridiculed your son, trying to make him a stand-up individual and looked downly upon him and gave him snide comments, hoping he would change his way from being that lazy prince. He wasn't. He, he, and so it's not only dealing with the death, but it's dealing with everything he said to him all at once. So of course he's going to scream out. If you come back, I'll have you executed. He's angry as hell. So, but I, I don't take it at all, literally, right. you know, of that moment. So, so Duncan still has a lot of guilt there. And uh, Tila thinks that Duncan has always been more concerned about the Royal family over his own. And then suddenly Roboto appears to say that's not true. And Roboto explains the family can be many things. The surrogate daughter that you raise as your own, the surrogate son you build to be the best version of yourself, the fearless friend who trusts you with his secret, and even the imp from another dimension. dimension. Uh, family is what you make of it, and Duncan is refusing to abandon his family. And a quick pause about Roboto here. Uh, this was one of the creative liberties that um, executive producer Ted Biaselli took in regards to the filmation show where he changed Roboto's origin from being an alien on the yeah. planet Robotica to a creation of Man at Arms. And I think this was a smart decision to be a Sally. I prefer this origin, which I think might have been the mini comics origin as well. And and actor uh, Justin Long also did a great job voicing him. Yeah, I think the uh, Roboto was uh, was good. It, it it goes with the storyline, so I think that's makes sense. I I, I want to say that's how it was in two thousand X too, where he was created. I, I might be wrong. I think uh, you're right. Yeah, so I think they went with that version. I mean, Masters of the Universe, you've had different backgrounds on which comic you read sometimes, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So I don't think it was that it didn't upset me or anything when I saw that. But it, like I said, it makes sense for this story to go forward, him having all his memories instead of being, you know, an alien or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a competing, I think, mini comic and competing and competing uh, filmation episode that was released the same year. You know, with these different origins, yes. and I think they only had Roboto in one episode in the filmation series, if I recall correctly. So it, it wasn't like it was a major change, but I think it, it served the story well yes. to follow the mini comic here. So this is, even though he adheres so much to the filmation show uh, for existing lore and then pulls from other sources when the filmation show doesn't explain um, certain aspects, um, I, I do appreciate this change. And I think it was the, the right decision. 
and um, and again, Justin Long and uh, voicing him, he you know he filled that character. That character felt like a machine, yet I don't know. He, he did a wonderful job giving depth to this machine, even though he was analytical. Um, he still felt. I don't know. You could human. still, in, yeah, human. He felt endearing, yeah. and um, and I really found myself quickly attached to this character and liking that he was part of the fellowship. Yeah, yeah, Bravado's good. Yeah, yeah. So Orko says he wants to go with them, but Tila says it's not safe that they're going to Subternia, the land of the dead. Then I love this part. Evelyn remarks, from the look of Orko, I'd say we were already there. And then Beastman, who has absolutely said nothing so far, starts giggling. Yep. Perfect. Yep. And then stops when he gets a few of that, uh, you know, that's not appropriate, you know, right. looks towards him. So, and that's all Beastman had to say during this whole conversation was the giggling. Right. You know when he should have been, but uh, so yeah, I love that. And then, and then, or in real life, he would have probably done that. So yeah, you know, that, and Evil Lynn made that little remark. So yeah, they're gonna they're being who they are. Yeah, you know, in that whole moment. <laughs> yep. So that that was good. So Orko uh, pleads to Tila that he had the best time of his life with her, and uh, in the past, and only more life can help him at this point. But life isn't here in Man in Harm's house. It's out there. So, so please bring him out on a venture like she used to uh, just this one last time. And he won't let her down like the old times that he'll be good. Which is a sad little speech. And then uh, Tila relents and says... They'll still need someone to reforge the sort of power. And that's when Roboto volunteers. He has all of young Duncan's memories and all of Roboto's neuropathways are based on Duncan's. So including Duncan's stubbornness. So Duncan knows that he can't talk Roboto out of it. So he says, if Orko and Roboto are going, then he's going to follow his family. And empties his helmet that's been serving as a fruit bowl, uh, fruit bowl <laughs> you know, on yeah, the right. shelf yeah, that's for funny. years. Yep. And and plans to join them. But uh, Tila insists now that uh, if Roboto can reforge the power sword, that Duncan should go to Grayskull instead. Because the sorceress is dying and only has Cringer to protect her. And how long will it take before the technical, hell-bent on going after old magical totems, will go after Castle Grayskull? So Duncan relents and says he has a secret to reveal, though, to Tila. Obviously that, you know, she is the daughter of the sorceress. But Evelyn shuts him up, insisting there's no time for any more secrets. So Duncan says it's a story for another time. And Tila shrugs and says, if we're lucky. And Tila admits that she doesn't know how she feels about the past anymore. But if Duncan wants to make it up to her, 
uh, save the sorceress dad. And then they don't hug, but they shake hands. So then the scene dissolves to another boat, another one created specifically just for revelation. This one's called the hover skiff that has a uh, swordfish motif. And, you know, and everything has like an animal head, you know, all these right. new yeah. uh, vehicles, you know, very motu. Yeah. And so our fellowship is riding on this hover skiff boat as it travels through the crystal sea. And Evelyn decides to take off her helmet and even though fans have seen Lynn's white hair before in the filmation series, it was um, always short hair. Right. But this time she reveals these, uh, these wonderful, long, flowing locks of snow white hair. And first I think it's like, how did she fit all that hair, <laughs> you know, in that uh, helmet? But then secondly, I think to me, uh, this is really a good lowercase new Eternia look for her, and I like it. Yeah, I'm a, a fan of Evil Lynn with short hair. Okay. To be honest with that, um, I didn't mind her having long hair because, like I said, they're, they're changing the characters in this new cartoon. You know, it's in the future. But her back then, it's um, always was like punky to me. You know, she had more of the punk style haircut. We're going back to that punk motif yeah, you yeah, love. Yeah. yeah. You know, like Penelope from the Avengers, you know, she had that real short cropped hair and uh, it was always cool to me because she, it's more, I want to say violent looking than it would be with the long, pretty hair, you know, but like they, they're like these characters in this cartoon, they're changing. So obviously they're going to change her look as well. So I didn't have a problem too much with her long hair. I, I like it. But I do display her, with the helmet because it's just too iconic for me yeah uh, yeah i love evil and she's like i keep saying i know trap draw is my favorite um but evil lynn her character development has been great since the beginning i think she's just awesome i, lo I love her yeah me too yeah she's one of the best you know um speaking of that short hair my um my I always refer to my mother as Evelyn because she had that uh, that white spiky hair. She would actually dye it that way. She was um, oh, wow. people would call her the Billy Idol haircut. Talking about <laughs> you know yeah. punk, you know, and um, and actually there was a few um, women in Hollywood that uh, had the same short haircut that she kind of yeah. modeled it after. It, uh, one was um, some some woman named Susan Powder. This is dating us. Holy cow, Susan Powder was like stop the insanity. She was some sort of yeah, workout. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she had this white spiky hair with this red lipstick and my mom would do the same thing. And then I think um, female singer in Roxette might have looked the way too for a little while. Or maybe, maybe, what was her name? Annie Lennox? In yeah, Annie Rhythm Lennox. Yeah. yeah. In Rhythmics. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Real short red hair, orange or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is really dating us. Hey, guys, you know, it's just, uh, but good thing, you know, we didn't age a day. So don't yeah, sweat exactly. it. I, I hope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, back to Motu. Uh, Evelyn reveals that uh, she likes places like this, you know, the Crystal Sea. She likes places that are vast, unforgiving, and elemental. And Tila quips, 
you didn't like it too much the last time we were here, you know, calling back to the beginning of the episode where they were on Skeletor's pirate ship. But evil encounters that she liked the Crystal Sea, just not the company. And next thing we know, they're back to discussing their previous relationships. And Evelyn admits her devotion to Skeletor blinded her to the obvious, that she could have been a master of the universe, that she was born to rule. But instead of fulfilling her destiny, she spent a lifetime helping Skeletor fulfill his. And Tila just says he's dead now, so move on. But Evelyn laughs and says, like you, you know, you haven't moved on. You've just run away. And then Evelyn gives some good advice to Tila here. She says, if something is dead, you bury it. If something isn't, you nurture it. But either way, you have to face it or it will haunt you uh, to the end of your days. And to me, this is just generally good advice. Now, after uh, Orko recommends to Andra that she keeps a journal if she's going to live a life of an adventurer because memories can be fleeting, suddenly an explosion is heard and uh, Aquaticans are attaching explosive devices to the hover skiff to blow the engines in which they are successful and the ship stops and a dozen Aquaticans Aquaticans uh, jump up onto the ship and surround the heroes, pointing their spears at them. And suddenly, Merman jumps aboard. And um, and holy crap, what happened to Merman? You know, apparently, life hasn't been a breeze since magic has left Eternia because he's got scars all over his body. Right. And good old Fish Face is uh, missing an eye, too. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's quite a trap jaw, you know, like how he's missing that eye now, too. Yeah, um, but it's it's quite a um, I don't know, I think it's kind of like a, a badass look for him. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, 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 I just have to say that the um, because I, I do like this scene because it's all blue, um, the sea and the sky. I mean, the animation is fantastic, I have to say that it's um. It's it's beautiful to look at, but with the merman, it shows. I'm not sure how far. How does it mention how far they are in the future from where it it, it was uh, the final battle in the beginning of the first episode to where they're at now? I don't know how many years has passed. It never actually mentions it in the series, but I believe it might've been Kevin Smith or Ted Biaselli. So it's something like seven to 10 years, I think. It's okay. past, so. Yeah. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of chaos going on since then. And that's why, you know, Merman's been in a lot of battles since <laughs> without having protection of the Skeletor and all those. So. Yeah, that's a good point. He doesn't have Skeletor to back him up anymore. Right. You know? Yeah. So he's out there in the, in the, in the elements and, you know, being in the sea, it could be pretty dangerous, you know, so. I would, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a cool look for him. And it's almost like a pirate thing in a way, too. You know, you see a lot of pirates' patches on their face. And since he's in the sea, he's got that one eye. So it kind of mimics maybe a little bit, you know, maybe I'm stretching there, but it's, it's possible. No, I can see that. Yeah. But I, I like your point that um, life's been tough with him. Um, 
especially where, you know, maybe uh, other beings wouldn't have messed with him knowing that he had Skeletor's ear. Right. Um, because that's one of his arguments here's here, right? I mean, um, Evelyn calls him a traitorous trout, which is another phrase I yep. love. Yep. It just cracks me up every time I hear it. But uh, Merman reveals that he's pretty angry with Evelyn, upset that they didn't team up to rule Eternia after Skeletor's death, you know, her over land and him over sea. That she, Evelyn, forgot all about Merman, you know, but now she'll never forget Merman. So, so I think that leans to your point that, um, that he was really left hung out to dry yeah. um, since Skeletor's death and feels betrayed, maybe not just by Evelyn, by, but by all of them. Yeah, maybe they thought he was worthless, you know. He yeah. didn't go with uh, triclops or nothing. So, you know, especially after all these uh, these fish comments, you know, they don't mm -hmm. think too highly of them. So, right. well, she used to say that to Beastman too, but yeah, it sounded like they kind of packed together, but they left out Merman. So, yep, he's out there doing what he needed to do until now, and that's probably why he's real sour, like you were saying, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, so he's not going to release them um, and has no time to hear their uh, pitiful pleas for life. And just as uh, an Aquaticin puts a spear blade to Tila's neck, uh, suddenly Roboto spots something incoming, yep. skimming on the waves, and it's Duncan on a hover bike. And uh, I don't know, he almost kind of reminds me of like uh, Batman here because he... Uh, <laughs> You know, he Duncan grapples uh, up onto the ship and then uh, fires, you know, shoulder rockets, blasting a bunch of aquaticans. And then uh, more fighty fight ensues. And uh, Duncan is blasting and lasering aquaticans left and right. And then he uh, he grapples two aquaticans like right into each other. And then Merman uh, tries throwing Duncan off the ship, but Duncan shoots a grapple back at Merman and brings him back onto the ship. And then he kicks Merman into the clutches of Beastman's whip that Beastman quickly wraps around uh, Merman's green neck. And, uh, you know, Beastman asks Evelyn, you know, should I fillet this fish, milady? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Duncan says, um, no, that, um, yeah, I think it was Duncan who said that, that yes. uh, Merman's command of the sea uh, can help us. And Tila is upset here that, um, you know, complaining that she told Duncan to go to Grayskull. But Duncan counters, but I told you I love you. And I guess this is probably a callback to what happened in the beginning of the episode where Duncan, based on that, probably assessed Merman would attack her by sea again. And he needed to assure their safety first before, you know, permanently going off the gray skull. So 
Merman agrees to a deal to deliver the uh, fellowship safely to the gates of Saturnia uh, in trade for his life. And Merman uses his command of the sea, which is cool, to create this big wave to propel the hover skiff forward to Saturnia. And then upon their arrival, they free the flounder and uh, releasing Merman back to the deep where he swears revenge. You know, he says, the sea never forgets Evelyn and neither do I. <laughs> As he lowers his head into the water. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it's... Uh, uh, it, it's good. So um, Orko says he's feeling more of himself here, that the the magic is stronger here than it is on Eternia. And Lynn says that means the power sword they seek is nearby. And Tunk, uh, Duncan tells Tila to get in and get out of Subternia as quick as you can, because nothing lives long in the land of the dead. Duncan offers to shake hands with Tila, just like last time, but instead Tila hugs him, and that brings tears to his eyes. Then no words are spoken, and Duncan leaves and heads off finally to Grayskull to protect the sorceress. So Duncan had a good run in this episode, very much so. Yes. Yep. So as the heroes get close to Subternia, uh, the pure, clear crystals now appear purple. Actually, it's somewhat behind. If anyone's watching us on YouTube, there's an image, uh, you know, covered by our pretty faces, but of these, these clear crystals now purple. And they are uh, corrupted and polluted by the evil seeping out of Subternia nearby. And the heroes then reach the gate of Subternia, where there's this large black obsidian crystal that sits like a wine cork, uh, sealing the evil depth of Subternia uh, in the depths below. Now, in front of the crystal sits a headless body that, according to the art book that was published by Dark Horse, once belonged to an ancient, powerful mage that guarded the entrance to Subternia. Now, at some point he died. I don't know what happened to his head, but on a personal note, I just love this stuff. You know, the, the, yeah, that some unknown wizard from long, long ago was just sitting there and protecting the entrance. You know, was he protecting it uh, for evil? Was he protecting the good from there? I don't know, but uh, I just love that. And, you know, I love when stuff is ambiguous. You know, not everything has to be explained. You know, and that's what makes some things um, cool. Yeah, that's the first time I heard you, what you just mentioned about that being an old mage. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I love the extra. And, you know, I got that from the art book, including the purple crystals. Why they were purple was yeah. they were being corrupted um, by the entrance of Subternia. So it's the little things like that, the extra um, layers in the lore that I just love. You know, yeah. I, I, I love finding out these things and um, it just makes my experience of watching a show like this um, even more rewarding, you know? So, and then makes you, once you see this mage, you know, you look at his armor suddenly and you're like, okay, 
okay, what, what does he look like? And, you know, from what civilization could he have been from? So it's, it's just very cool. It, it feels very, um, this kind of stuff feels very uh, Tolkien, you know, yes. um, yeah. mid, Middle Earth, you know, and gives... Tolkien went crazy with his and crazy good with his his worlds. He created maps and 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 um, civilizations and races and then all these backstories that even though it never made it really into the books or films, he had it written that he could pull from and everything would make sense if he needed to. And it was just really a wonderful. Um, I don't know. It's really a wonderful aspect. And I love seeing it here in Masters of the Universe Revelation as well. So Evelyn tells the team to stand back as she places the ram head of the Havoc staff onto the headless skeletal remains of that mage. And at first, nothing happens. Then the eyes of the Havoc staff head glows green and this gigantic obsidian crystal lifts in the air, uh, revealing a staircase to hell. And... This great ominous chant begins to play, uh, courtesy of the great score, again, by Bear McCreary. And then they all head down to Subternia. But Evelyn stops and turns back to the head of the Havoc staff. Is she not fully ready to let go of Skeletor? Or now that we've seen all the episodes... Is Skeletor sending her a subliminal message to collect the ram head? We don't know, but Evelyn almost leaves it behind, but then she hesitates, then ultimately goes back to collect it, which triggers the crystal door to close back up, sealing the gate behind them, and the credits begin. And that wraps up uh, episode three, The Most Dangerous Man in Eternia. So overall, Bobby, uh, what did you personally think of this episode? Uh, just sum it up yeah, for yourself. I thought it, yeah, I thought it was, um, well, they developed the characters pretty good in this episode. Uh, there was a lot of talk about their past with going forward as well. Um, it, it's also neat. That they brought in, you know, with Orko and how he's kind of dying with the magic, which I thought was good. Um, yeah. But like I said, the the thing I liked the most about it was the animation of I, I just love the blue sea. I, I it it really appeals to me to see that with the crystals and all that stuff. So I, I really enjoyed that. They don't go too much into uh, crystal seas and the other stuff so much. But other than that, it's um. I think it was a pretty deep episode compared to the action. There was a lot of, um, like I said, alliances with uh, Beastman and, and Evil Inn. And like you were saying, you know, Merman's not part of them. But uh, there's a lot of um, love lost that happened between Duncan and Tila that they're mending, which was good to see as well. Right. Yeah, that's what I got. So, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, first, um, you're right. This episode is beautiful looking, um, especially when they're out at sea, both in the filmation flashback in yeah. the beginning and the pirate ship, and then uh, later again in the Crystal Sea when it's our um, fellowship. Right. 
and uh, it is so gorgeous. And this is this episode might be the prettiest. Uh, I'll have to think about that, but it might be the most gorgeous to look at, and uh, looks great on a uh, high definition television. Maybe one day they'll release it in 4K. Unless does Netflix stream anything in 4K? Bobby? I don't know. I just I actually just had to get a new TV and I got a 4K, so I'll have to check on that. Hmm. We just got the. Um, I know Prime does, but I'm not sure if Netflix. I, I think Netflix does, but I, I have to really look into it again. I will too. Yeah. Because that would be something that would really pop in 4K with that HDR technology and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, gonna I'm have to attract it to that, like the northern stuff, you know, and the cold. Well, it's not cold, but it's the blue with the crystal. I, I really, I do like that imagery, and like when Evelyn was saying about the vastness and stuff, you felt like you were you were out there in a way, you know. So that was that they did that pretty well. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, um, but for me, episode three, uh, the dangerous man in Eternia. It's a very good episode, and um, I think you had touched upon it yourself, but um, I think the key word here is relationships, you know? Yeah. It, it is hard to analyze this episode narratively because this is very far away from a self-contained episode. It just feels like a almost a segment, a, a jagged piece, puzzle piece of our hero's full journey. It doesn't feel like a clearly defined chapter as some other stories have. But there's a lot of great stuff here, and it's relationship stuff. It's, It's important dynamics crucial to the series narrative that, for me, is just so enjoyable to watch. Like the conversations with... Tila and Evelyn, and they share about their key men in their life and Lynn's wise introspective analysis of her younger self and what she sees in Tila. And I think even Andrea and Tila both can learn a lot from Lynn, I think, here. But we also delve further into this new wonderful dynamic between Beastman and Evelyn where I don't personally see this submissiveness spawned out of love, at least romantic love anyway, but rather loyalty and maybe culturally, like I can pronounce here, meaning I wouldn't be surprised if among Beastman's people, Beast women were the leaders of their tribe. You know, it wouldn't shock me at all. And no, it's uh, possible. And so I love this dynamic. And yep. and Duncan, you know, the last man for me on Eternia that I expected to be caring for Orko in his dying days was Man in Arms. But he won't leave anyone behind because every friend, even the annoying ones, even the bothersome ones, uh, seem to connect deep with this man and they do become family. Right. So Mer- Merman feeling betrayed by Evelyn to Duncan, to, to Tila, to Evelyn. As a masters of the universe fan, I am so 
appreciative of what this episode is and the character layers it provides. And this is all just wonderful new stuff to me that um, enhances Masters of the Universe and uh, the characters I grew up in the Filmation series. And uh, for me, you know, I I highly recommend it. I think it was a, uh, a good quality episode. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it's really it, it's it's deep. Like now that we've been talking through it and stuff, it's you got you think more about how it's. I was playing it in my mind the way you were telling the story, so I'm watching it again in my head, and it, it's just uh, yeah, it's 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 a very deep episode for character development, of course. You know, it's um, it was really strong, not all action, but you know, like. I'm used to filmation and all that where it's, you know, like you were saying, it's one contained story on episodic, you know, it's, this one is like in between the last, the first two and the last two. So it's a big, deep episode to get things moving after the past and moving towards the future. Yeah. That was the brilliance of revelation was that the, um, you know, back before this, this event, everything always reset. In filmation, after every episode, everyone's reset to zero, you know. And uh, but um, once that, and when you start that first episode, um, it feels like you're back in that filmation series, you know. That Cringer is af- afraid of fireworks, and uh, Orko's doing, you know, magical spells to bother Man at Arms, and everything feels right. Everything feels like a warm pair of slippers that you've been wearing for years, you know, for decades. But then um, I think it all um, basically goes to hell, goes to Subternia at the uh, point when uh, the death of Mossman. And it all just sort of unravels from there. And that's where, to me, like the show, the fil- it's where this Eternia loses its innocence. And and now that things don't reset, we, we were getting so much more depth that we never had time for before. And, um, and issues that, um, emotional issues that some of these characters have. And... Uh, and I guess this was always the plan of, of, of making a sequel um, to this show for adults, which is crazy when I think about it. So like taking a kid's show and we're going to sequelize it, but now it's made for adults. Like the, the show was made for you, Bobby, at age nine or whatever age you were. And now this show is made for you at age 49, you know, and uh, still appreciate. And it's, it's, it's kind of cool. I, I, I love the, I don't know if it's, been done for other ips i i didn't check out the transformers one that um tim sheridan was involved with yet but um i don't know um it's so cool so yeah. and uh I, I really appreciate what they did here versus just giving us another you know filmation show where you know everyone's happy everyone has the corny lines and uh you know because we we do require more from adult it's why you left masters of the universe um for a little while as you um you know, chased your, your, your music, right? right? It was, it happened to all of us, right? We, we, yeah. we became a teenager and then suddenly relationships and more, you know, we started craving things for, uh, more adult themes. Yeah, and that, that's why I like to ask people when, who's younger than me, like, like Bob in, in our, in our uh, show, he's nine years younger than me. And I asked him how he got into it. And he always said, he just watched the reruns. 
and I didn't even know they had the reruns on. Maybe I didn't have cable that had that station that had it, but I don't remember it being on. So it's interesting to see the youth, or not youth, but younger guys than me get into it. It's cool. I think they were playing reruns of the filmation show back on like um, maybe the Cartoon Network for a while. And then uh, the Hallmark Channel, I think, had it for a while. And uh, so it was places for people to catch. And then YouTube has been great because now oh, yeah. it's accessible for everyone. And I have the uh, so many DVD sets, um, yeah. but but for convenience, I just watch it on YouTube. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, yeah, it's just I, it's just I, easier. I like, physical, I like the physical product. I always I got my Saturday and Sunday morning cartoons. I watch three episodes a, a day on uh, the weekends, and I got my physical DVDs. I throw in the, the Blu-ray player, and I just watch it that way. Oh, I love them too. Don't get me yeah. wrong, but for some reason, I like uh, I have the um, the CD compact discs, Volume One and Volume Two of this score from Bear okay. McCurry. Yeah. But still, I kind of like stream it on my phone when I actually listen to it. So I have, I still want that physical copy to put on the shelf, you know, that collector right. in me. Yeah. Um, because it, only then you feel like you own it. Right. Um, but uh, like, I don't even know how to process these uh, virtual toys that Masters of the Universe is offering now. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, those NFTs, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I don't even know how to to process these, you know, and I don't mean to be like, you know, the old man on the, you know, get off of my lawn, but, uh, right. you know, I'm just, I'm just old school in that way. And, uh, not that I'm open-minded. I mean, I'm, I'm very, like I said, I stream videos and yeah. television and, um, and music and I'm playing PlayStation and video games, but for some reason, NFTs, I just can't go there, at least not yet. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. I'm not into that either. No. And maybe, maybe one year, but, um, so that about does it here. Um, Bobby, do you have anything else that you would like to touch upon or add before we sign off? Um, just want to say thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. It's been a first time being on another show, which is great. Um, I don't know. I, <clears throat> if you want, you can follow us on uh, Twitter for Collectors of Power. Or uh, watch us on YouTube as well. We got a website and all that stuff. But hopefully, uh, we can build a good audience too. It'd be nice. But... Why don't you? Um, what's your main Twitter account? The vintage. Yeah, vintage, uh, vintage Motu with underscore between vintage and Motu. Yeah. Um, the Twitter for our collectors of power is just collectors power, but we're also on Instagram and all the social media too. But. Okay. Well, uh, that's a wrap all. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, Bobby for guest co-hosting today. And uh, thank you all so much for listening to the Four Attorney Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider subs uh, subscribing to our streams. And if you're watching on YouTube, please give us a like, subscribe, and comment below. We really love the feedback. And... As always, uh, visit us at fourturnia.com for all the latest updates and news, as well as links to our social media pages like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram that can help you stay up to date with all of our news and content. So, so that's it, guys. Thanks again for listening, and let the power return. We'll see you next time.